Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to uh, bring a message to you this morning called um, The Call. This, uh, uh, by the way, welcome to everyone listening to us online and on the, on the King's Cast. We hope you appreciate these next few moments and thank you for taking the time to download this. I want to talk about the call of God. I wonder if you believe that God has called you or not. Uh, or whether you think of God calling people as for sort of the, you know, very special people or very gifted people or, or preachers, people like that. But I have a feeling that God, in his economy of the way he wants the world to work, I believe God wants to call everyone to, to, to serve him. Not only to believe in him, not only to have some sort of relationship with him, but also to serve him. He wants, he wants you to serve him. We said many times that whatever it is that you do in life, your career is in the kingdom. You may have to do a, to do a task each week for 40, 50 hours or whatever it is to get some money, but your career is is in the kingdom of God. He's marked you. And God wants to call us to serve him. And uh, one of the great things about the phrase, the call, is, uh, and I put, if you're listening online, there's a big picture of a telephone on the wall here. Uh, this is a phone that, that is ringing and ringing and ringing over many, many uh, Christians' lives ringing. At, sometimes it's not being answered, but it keeps on ringing. And uh, over the, I'm going to share some of it this morning and we'll finish it next week probably. But I believe that this morning and also next Sunday, if, if anything, my, my desire is that it should be like a phone ringing in your spirit. The call of God. And, and like, like any time when you don't want to be disturbed by a telephone ringing, it can be a bit annoying. So these could be two really annoying sermons. But nevertheless, I think God wants to call us to serve him. And I think that not just here today, but all over the world, the phone from heaven is ringing but people just aren't really answering it because they're frightened of what they might hear. You ever had that happen in your house? I'm sure you haven't, but the phone rings and you think, you better not get it because it might be Aunt Olwyn. Not in my case because she died 10 years ago, but even more so, that would be strange. But you know, the phone rings, you think, that's the wonderful thing about mobile phones now is that you know who it is. Caller withheld, not answering that. But sometimes we don't want to hear the call of God because we wonder what he might want to say and we don't want to pick up that phone. 
from heaven. Moses was called, wasn't he, in the passage that Aidan read for us a moment ago. He was called. And uh, when the call of God comes, as it's coming to you, coming to me, um, we face a number of challenges. So, So this is what I want to talk about. Three or four of these challenges that people that God speaks to have to have to face. And hopefully some of these will have a, have a resonance um, with you. The first challenge when God calls us, when he called me, when he calls you, the first challenge, I called it mistaken identity. A friend of mine went into Cambridge yesterday and uh, now I have to be a bit I have to be a little bit careful what I say here but he was taken uh, to one side by the police on two occasions yesterday you may know that there was a, a march or a, or a campaign or a political rally and uh, unfortunately my friend looks a bit like he might have been involved in that march now he wasn't He's a Methodist minister. But he looked like, you know, if, if you met him, you might think, he's going to punch me any moment now. That's what he looks like. That's how God hath made him. But, um, but so he was taken over by the police, uh, you know, taken to one side and his ID checked and all of that. And each time it came up on their little computer that he was a Methodist minister, it looked like this machine must be wrong. But mistaken identity, mistaken identity. I think when God calls us, that's one of the first things we want to tell God, isn't it? You've got the wrong man here. You've got the wrong woman. This isn't me. You've got the wrong person here. And uh, Moses said some of these very, very similar things. Who am I that I should uh, go to Pharaoh? What if they don't believe me? Um, please send someone else to do it. Lord, I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and of, and of tongue. That's Moses' first response. His first response is not, oh, this is marvelous. I'm now going to get in Charisma magazine. I'm now, <laughs> I'm now going to get in Sorted. I'm now going to be on... I'm now going to be interviewed by Rory Alec. Hallelujah. That God has called me. No, that's not what he thought. His first thought was, God, you've got the wrong person. Because I'm not capable. That's what he's saying. I'm not capable of delivering what you're asking me to do. And I think that many times in our lives, that's exactly what we say to God, isn't it? It might not be to do with speaking anywhere or, you know, that kind of thing. But, but our first response is, Lord, no, the phone is ringing, but it's not for me. Uh, we have this in our home. If the phone rings at a certain time of day, I always say, Jane, that will be for you. Now, that is absolutely absurd, of course. But we've begun to work out who rings who and at what time. And sometimes in a message like this or when the Holy Spirit is speaking, you begin to think, no, I can hear the phone ringing, but it's not for me. Well, wise up, because it is for you. It is for you. 
But our response is just like the man of God here. No, it's not for me. God, I know you're, I know that you're speaking to me, but this must be for someone else to do. This, I know you're laying a really heavy claim on my life, but don't you know that I've got this and I've got that and I've got this and I can't do this and I tried once doing this and it hasn't worked out and we come up with all this stuff the same as Moses did right here unfortunately the phone is still ringing mistaken identity Lord no not me not me I put here throughout history Jesus has always chosen the most inadequate people to do his tasks, to do great tasks. Really, sometimes when you, when you read through the Bible, you want to you be like a consultant to God and say, Lord, some of these choices you are making are really very poor indeed. You shouldn't be hiring this one. You should be firing this one. Who on earth would think that it was a good idea Let's take just the life of Jesus, just by way of example, to gather 12 men of the most odd assortment. And some of them, really, Jesus, he really should have done a few background checks on some of these guys. There was a terrorist among them, Simon, was a terrorist. Who would think that you would choose Peter to be the chief spokesman, someone who could speak all right, but couldn't think? (laughs) to be the chief speaker on the day of Pentecost. Who would have chosen him to do that? Who chooses, who in their right mind, chooses Judas Iscariot to be the treasurer? Yes, he was the treasurer of the apostolic group. The treasurer. He was a thief. Don't you think that someone should have done some sort of CRB or some sort of background check on some of these people? Who chooses, who chooses Thomas to be in charge of a ministry of joy and faith? Thomas is, had, a, had a business card written on it. I'll bring doubt and unbelief wherever I go. And yet the Lord chose him, you see. So throughout history, throughout history, the phone has rung for people like you and me from heaven to call us, come and serve God. Come and serve the Lord. And many times we haven't answered it, but many times we've picked it up and said, actually, um, you've got the wrong number. By the way, Jane and I are on a mission in life to find out who on earth are Mr. and Mrs. Gibbs. If you know who Mr. and Mrs. Gibbs are, I will buy you a coffee this morning. I want to know who they are and where they are. Most of all, I want to give the marketing companies their phone number. (laughs) Hello, can I speak to Mr. Gibbs, please? No. Now, at first, I was perfectly polite. I just want to explain. Let me take 10 minutes out of my life. Let me just explain. Mr. Gibbs doesn't live here anymore. You (laughs) You have the wrong number. I'm terribly sorry about this. And I'd put the phone down. I'm telling you, two years in, hello, can I speak to Mr. Gibbs? <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. 
And I think that's sometimes what God does to us. Hello, can I speak to a mighty warrior, please? You've got the wrong number. That's not my name. Hello, I need to speak to the servant of the Lord. No, no, that's not my name. You've got the wrong number. Hello, I'd like to speak to a worship leader. No, no, I can barely play a note. Hello, I'd like to speak to a Sunday school teacher. No, sorry, uh, that's not me. Right? Hello, I'd like to speak to a missionary who's going to travel overseas in the next few years and do great things. No, that's not me. I'm, I'm, I, 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 I wish that was me, but I don't have the money for that. But the call is coming. The phone is ringing. Can I speak to Mr. Gibbs, please? That's me. What would you like? Paul said, in 2 Corinthians, he said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about himself. In the, in the ancient world, they would keep valuable things in clay pots to conceal them. It's a bit like you putting all your money in the, in the cornflakes box. Hiding something very valuable in something that looked very ordinary. That's what it means when he says, we have this treasure in these jars of clay. We've got all our money in a biscuit barrel. That's sort of what he's saying. And God puts his treasure in the most unlikely exteriors to conceal it. And Paul goes on to say, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. If God is calling you to serve him, here's the great news. He's going to do it. You're not going to do it. The task he's got for you, you will have some involvement. But God is going to do it. God's going to be the missionary. God's going to be the worship leader. God's going to be the, chi- the, the uh, children's worker. God's going to be the evangelist. You'll be there as well. And it'll look like it was you, but it's going to be God. Isn't that good news? It's the work of God. God does it. God doesn't give us instructions and then go off on a vacation. He comes with us. Jesus said, I'm sending you out into all the world. And lo, I am with you always. Jesus is the only general in history who goes on the front line with his men every time. And the Holy Spirit is with those who go, not with those who stay. So number one, mistaken identity. Very, very common. No, no, not me. You've got the wrong person. It's not me. It's not me. It is you. It is you. Number two. I want you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 90, please. Can you turn in your Bible to Psalm 90? I want to show you something today, very, very quickly, that's going to shock you upset you even. Something for you to talk about over lunch. Psalm chapter 90 or Psalm 90. I want to talk about imagined limitations. The first challenge is the challenge of mistaken identity. It's not me, officer. No, no, I'm not the man. I'm not the one, Lord. But God is talking to us. Psalm 90. Just uh, Have you got it open in front of you? 
Yeah. I want to show you now. Now, I want you to brace yourself if you've got a seatbelt on. Get ready for something really rather radical being spoken of in this, in this great church here. I want to show you a mistake in the Bible. You've told your friend at work, the Bible has no mistakes. No, it has one mistake. And we're going to look at it now. One mistake. A terrible gaffe. And it's in this psalm. Now, before you get, what's he talking about? Just relax. It'll all be all right in a minute. You don't have to think about going to the Baptist church. Unless they have a working lift. Psalm 90 begins, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Are you all with me in Psalm 90? Are you you with me? Say aye. Okay. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Come down to verse 7. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your Indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. Okay, have a look at me now. This is what the writer is saying here. The writer makes a sort of a generalization about the length of someone's life in verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. In in the old King Jim, it says three score and ten. You ever heard that phrase? Well, you've had your three score and ten. Well, I'd like another ten, please. Maybe another score. And then another score after that. I deserve to score. This is not the King's Church football team. I would like to score, please. The writer says this. This is my paraphrase. He says, the length of life is about 70 years. And if you're healthy, have a lot of fruit and yogurt, go out running down Hills Road, you might make it to 80. Isn't that what he's saying? If your strength endures, you could live until you're 80. But most people will conk out round about 70. And being 44 this year, that doesn't fill me with dread. By the way, if you're over 70, we wish you a very happy day. But that's what he's saying. He's saying life is about 70 years, maybe 80. But after that, start saying goodbye, start kissing the kids, start dividing up the land, because that's about the end of you. Now, why is this a mistake? Why is this a mistake in the Bible? Because we need to see who wrote this. And if you look at the very beginning of the psalm in your Bible, you will see that this psalm was written by Moses. Is that what it says? 
And these bits that say the prayer of Moses, that's as much the Bible. That's not a bit that the editor has put in. That's in the, in the original uh, texts. Moses wrote this. Uh, uh, we are to presume it is the same Moses. We are to presume it is a Moses written younger than these years. But who knows? But that would seem logical. But we could dispute that, I suppose. Moses, writing as a younger man, writes this in his blog, known as Psalm 90. I am going to live to 70 or maybe 80. After that, But what do we discover? That when he was 80 years old, the passage that we read earlier from Exodus 3, Moses is 80 years old. And we know that from Acts chapter 7 where Stephen explains that Moses was 40 when he did this and then he, 40 years later God called him in the desert, etc. So are you, are you getting where I'm going with this? When Moses thought his life would end, it just had begun. It just had begun. So here's the question for us. And by the way, it's not really a mistake in the Bible. God has allowed that there to show the folly of our preconceived ideas about what's going to happen. Who was it who said, if you really want to make God laugh, tell him your plans? Someone smarter than I. We have these imagined limitations. Well, this is what I'm going to be able to do. That's what Moses said. Well, when I'm 70, that'll be, I'll, be, I'll start to wind down. And by the time I'm 80, I'll be buried. But God didn't call Moses until he was 80. And then he lived another 40 years. Serving God. His life story didn't really begin until he was 80. Isn't that amazing? Now let me ask you, what do you think is going to happen in your life? Now whatever you just thought, you're wrong, aren't you? And whatever I think about, well what's going to happen in my future? Guess what? I don't know, do I? But you can be sure that whatever I think is probably not the case. And whatever you think is probably not the case. What are your limita- what are your limitations in your mind? What have you decided that you are capable of doing and not capable of doing? Because what will most likely happen if God doesn't break through is you will live Within the scope of those limitations. But these limitations have not been given by the Holy Spirit. They've been given by our internal fears. And our desire for comfort many times. Can you say amen? I'm telling the truth, aren't I? I'm not preaching today. I'm telling you the truth. What are the the limitations that you've worked out? Well, this is what we can do and this is what we can't do and this is what I'm capable of doing and this is what I'm I'm not capable of doing. This is what I'm going to be like. you've, You've got no idea. And we need to ask God before we leave this building today, we need to ask God, Lord, will you just blow out my Psalm 90 thinking, please? 
Will you just flush that away? Will you just wash that out of my brain? This Psalm, Psalm 90 ideas that say, well, this is how it's going to be. and this uh, I tell you, you've got no idea what God can do with you. got no idea. He was greatly mistaken over the limitation and the direction of his life. So most likely, so am I. And most likely, so are you. At 80 years of age, it had only just begun. I wonder if uh, many, many years ago, this is going to make me feel a bit old now. But many, many years ago, when you went to the cinema or the movie house, they showed two movies. I don't know why they did that. But they showed two movies. You saw the B movie, and then you saw the real movie you wanted to see. How many, anyone here old enough to remember that? Or were you very Pentecostal in those days and you didn't go to the cinema because there was a rapture or something like that? And you went to the, and you sat through this awful film. It's the kind of film they show on Channel 5 now in the afternoons. And you sat through this awful film in order to see Jaws or Star Wars or the film you really wanted to see. And sometimes, hear the word of the Lord today. Some of us are living in our B movie now and our A movie hasn't even begun. Come on! <laughs> See the thing, is this it? This is my channel five in the afternoon life. Come on! I hear the phone ringing. God's saying, why, why don't you just go for it with me? I'll take you into a much better movie than the one you're in now. Or are you going to be like so confined in your thinking that when the B movie finishes, you get up, pick up your chewed up popcorn because you don't waste nothing. We're taking this home. And you leave the movie house before the main features even begun. put here, we need to get out of Psalm 90 thinking and get into Psalm 91 thinking with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So as our life's main work even begun, God broke through Moses' life preconceptions and he can break ours but we have to invite him to do that. What have you decided is the limitation of your life I want to assure you that for 99 times out of 100, God is not the one who has given those limitations. Okay, let me finish just with one more. One more. And we'll do a few more next week. Third one. The divine disappearing act. The divine disappearing act. The first thing that happened when Moses accepted, when he was finally persuaded, all right, I'll do it, as long as Aaron comes with me. 
By the way, how do we know that Moses wore a wig? Did he wore a wig? Sometimes he was seen with Aaron, but not all the time. It's a terrible joke. Why did I tell it then? Moses said, I'll do it, but I need Aaron with me <laughs> to do the speaking. And eventually, yes, okay. Eventually, the man of God says, I will obey the Lord. All right, the phone's ringing. I will do it. I thought I would die at 80 and now I'm going to start living at 80. I don't think feel capable, but I, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I will surrender my, all my fears, my insecurities, my laziness even. Because these are all the things that stop us serving God. It's not the devil, it's just apathy and laziness and a desire for money or something like that. And we don't serve God. But he, he overcomes it. And then what's the first thing that happened? You would imagine that once you had obeyed the Lord, that everything would just suddenly start to go marvelous. He even had his stick, didn't he? You know, the staff. I can do all sorts of things with this. But the first thing that happened, we read it here, Exodus chapter 5 that Pharaoh got cross. And the first thing that happened was not miracles. It was misery. It's the first thing that happened. Pharaoh said, what? You thinking of walking out of Egypt? And the guys were making bricks. They had straw given to them to make them. And they said, okay, from now on, you have to go and Make your own bricks and you have to go and get your own straw. But I still want the same quota. I still want the same number of bricks made. And when this happened, the whole of the scenario became much worse than it had been half an hour before. And the, the Israelites complained, grumbled at Moses, what are you doing interfering here? Now we are, workload is much more, etc. Now let me talk about a principle with this. When we serve the Lord, when we answer that call, when we pick up that phone, when we put all our fears and our apathy aside, and we say, all right, I will do it. When we clear away all those limitations we might have thought we had, you might expect that that day would be a good day, wouldn't you? Oh, I'm serving God now. Now everything is going to be fine. But here's a principle from the Bible that sometimes that's not the case. And here was the third challenge that Moses had when he met with those Israelite leaders, you know, the, 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 the spokespeople for the, for the slave gang, and they started to complain, it's got worse since you interfered. I wonder if the man of God could then have thought to himself, 
Perhaps I didn't, perhaps I had a dream around that fire. Perhaps it wasn't God at all. Look, if it were God, surely things would be better than they are. Sometimes people accept the call to serve God. The next day, the next day their car breaks down. Well, if it were God, doesn't he know I'm supposed to be delivering these Gideon Bibles across Europe? If it was really God, if it was really God, then your car wouldn't break. No, if you put your car in for a service, it wouldn't break. If you had, if you had a good mechanic, it wouldn't break. Or you accept the call to serve God, I'm going to serve the Lord, then within a few weeks, you start to become ill, you're diagnosed, there's a problem in your body now. Well, if it were really God, wouldn't he give me a clear road? If it were really God calling me, wouldn't he make things easier for me? Now, I would like, I would like it if God did that. But I want to tell you from the Bible, that's not always what God does. So I'm not wishing that things are difficult and hard and relishing it like it's something good. But I know this, just because you serve the Lord doesn't mean that you get a promotion at work. Just because you uh, uh, accept the call, just because you start serving him doesn't mean that every light that was red suddenly gets lit green. Paul the Apostle knew full well what it was like to serve God when he spoke throughout his letters about being naked, uh, not having any clothes, uh, not having enough to eat. When he says in the book of Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it might look good on your fridge, that verse. But actually it's Paul talking about the fact that he didn't have enough to eat but he was still going to serve God and Christ would strengthen him physically even though he hadn't had enough to eat. In 2 Corinthians, he spends a long, a whole lot of chapters, chapters 10, 11, just talking about some of the, difficulty, the difficulties of his life and mission. A night and a day in the deep, that means the sea. Can you imagine being a night and a day in the sea? hanging on to a plank of wood or hanging on to some structure. Can you imagine that? And as he's hanging on to that wood being, you know, washed around in the sea, thinking back to Jesus appearing to him on the road to Damascus, I'm sending you. You're going to turn people away from Satan and reveal to them the light of God. That's not what it looked like in the sea. He says that on a number of times he received from his tormentors 40 lashes minus one. I think he says it happened three times. At what point as he was being beaten did he think back to that moment on the road to Damascus? Are oh, you going to turn the people, you're going to be a light to the Gentiles? 
that day he was a laughing stock to the Gentiles. So I've called this the divine disappearing. And sometimes it seems like God just disappears. Sometimes it seems like God comes and commissions us and disappears. But he has not disappeared. And the same apostle who had those terrible challenges was able to say in the same letter, in the same section, that his grace is sufficient for me. And his power is made perfect through weakness. I've often told the story of how ludicrous it was of me going from city to city in Brazil, conducting meetings where the most extraordinary miracles would take place, the deaf would hear, the blind would see, cancer vanished from people's stomachs. It was not uncommon for there to be sometimes between 30 and 50 miracles a night of varying degrees of awe. But the biggest joke of all was that as I arrived at those meetings, I was sick as a parrot, a Brazilian parrot. Myself, how does that work? His grace is sufficient for us. And Paul says this, death is at work in us and life is at work in you. So the call of God is coming to you and has been coming to you. The phone is ringing. But sometimes the the difficulties of making it work are very strong, but they are not an indication that God is not in it. I've told the story many times, and I'll finish with this, of being, I attended a youth meeting for some reason, and a lady had visited our church in Torquay, and she was, she did, came for the six o'clock meeting, but there was a youth meeting at eight. And she stayed for that as well, even though she was far too old for it. But then so was I, really. And I was just saying goodbye to her on the door, and she was crying and very stressed. She was talking about moving house. and That makes anyone cry, doesn't it? Moving house. <laughs> and, um, but while she was talking, she said, well, we believe God wanted us to move to, I can't remember where it was, Southampton, Birmingham, wherever it was. She said, but you know, we've not been able to sell the house and it's been difficult. So she said, I don't know whether God's in it. I don't have a peace about it. I'm, not, I'm unhappy. And I just stood on the door and I just said, well, no, you're not going to be very happy, are you? You're moving house. Moving house equals unhappy. That's just life. Moving house equals stress, strain. Is anyone going to buy it? How expensive should it be? Is there a school where we're moving to, etc.? And the lady just sobbed and sobbed. But all I'd done really is given her permission to find the will of God hard rather than easy the will of God often is hard so here the first thing that happened was there was a divine disappearing act the Bible says God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him 
the Bible says we shouldn't grow weary in doing good. Did you expect miracles but got misery? Well, press forward in determination and faith. God may ring you. That call may come. But the way ahead might be tricky at first. But don't take that as a sign that God is somehow not in it. In fact, of course, there's no such thing as a divine disappearing act. God is incapable of leaving us. It always amuses me, and it's something that we'll just continue to do, I know. So it's not a call to change our language particularly, but it just amuses me that as we come together to pray, to worship, we always ask God to come. And what's amusing is that we're asking someone to come who is absolutely, categorically refused to leave. I wonder what God is saying to you. I wonder if you've had the phone ring. Not literally, but on the inside. I wonder what limitations you perceive that you have. I wonder what excuses and fears are manifesting themselves for you to put off what it is that God is saying to you. I want to encourage you. Answer the call. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes we would love you to leave us some feedback God bless and goodbye